This episode includes talk of suicidal ideation, so please listen with care. If you need a resource, you can contact the Suicide and Crisis Lifeline by calling, texting, or chatting 988 or visit 988lifeline.org. This podcast addresses death, difficult emotional content, and contains profanity. Listen with... Your own motherfucking discretion. (laughs) (laughs) Get your kids. This is Grief After Dark. Hello, (laughs) Hello, Mickey. Everybody. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Grief After Dark. Welcome back. Is the excitement radiating through your ear holes right now? I know. I know. Can you just feel both of us all just a Twitter? A Twitter. With excitement. It's so good. I'm so glad to be back here with with like this season. That we're in season three, y'all. Unbelievable. Like Corona Times brought us grief after dark. It brought us all kinds of shit. And this is definitely one of the highlights. This is one of the biggest highlights for me. And so, like, I'm so glad to be back. And let's go. Me too. Let's fucking do this. (laughs) We, We had our production meeting, as we do. And where are we? Where are we today? Well, so season three, episode one. Um, If you're just joining us, welcome. If the title Grief After Dark doesn't give you an indicator of what we're delving into, uh, I don't know what to tell you. Um, Besides, it's probably going to be more laughter than you expected. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes, it's dark. But also, there's some funny shit that goes on. Laughter is my flashlight in the darkness of the reality. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's it's my favorite coping mechanism. I know I've said that before. It's my most right. effective coping mechanism, I think. And, uh, you know, it just, it keeps my head above water, as it were. D, this is going to be on you and it's going to be on the fly. We were choosing between two titles for season three. <laughs> Glow in the dark. And, and what was this? Oh, Dark 30. Oh, Dark 30. That's true. I don't know. I I feel like, you know, today I saw the glow in the dark. Uh, it popped up on my screen. Now it's like, I think that might be it. Glow in the dark it is. The glow in the dark. Yes. Welcome one and all to the party. Grief After Dark, season three, glow in the dark, episode one. So, you know, we explore the many facets of grief Our intention for season three was to have a little bit of a combination between season one and two. We have some really great guests this season coming on to talk to us about a multitude of things and um, many facets of grief. And, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, Dee and I will have some private conversations that we're going to share with our, you know, (laughs) however many loyal listeners. What are we up to? Twelve? Twelve and a half. I don't know. (laughs) 12.5. Up from five. Yeah. And then it was eight and now it's 12.5. And, you know, season, by season 10, we're going to have 20 listeners. 20 home listeners. Yes. 
we're going to run the gamut as usual, but we kind of wanted to talk a bit more this season about grief that is not necessarily around death. Mm -hmm. And a little bit about what that that means. So, you know, there's grief surrounding uh, racial injustice. There's grief surrounding sickness, um, disability, um, whether being a caretaker or being the disabled person yourself. Um, You know, there's, gosh, loss of relationships, which I mean, that I could just write a whole book about that right now today. So, you know, there's so many important relationships that I've lost in the last, you know, 10 years, which has been like incredibly crazy. Um, Mainly we talk, like when folks think about grief, they think about death. And so opening that up, I think is really important because, you know, maybe somebody lost their job. It never feels good to lose a job, no matter what the job is, it never feels good. And, and that's, you know, the grief and it's unbelievable. And it's, you go through the things and shock and like, I can't believe this is happening to me, et cetera, et cetera. And like changes in life circumstances, shit, like somebody becomes disabled later on in their life or relationship or whatever. Um, So like kids grief, which, you know, they end up disenfranchised a lot because we are so disrespectful (laughs) to children. Oh, they'll bounce back. It's going to be fine. They're not going to remember. And those are things that we hope, like we have to really do better because in, in dealing with all people, but particularly children, because, you know, they're human, they're little human beings and they don't have the emotional vocabulary that we have. in their, in their ages to deal with things or to talk about things. So getting a divorce, like children of divorce. So, I mean, I know I can talk a lot about that too. too. I was five, five years old when my mom and dad got a divorce. So, yeah. And the, and the grief behind that and how that impacted all of my decisions going forward in romantic relationships. So, you know, there's so much, there to, is. There's so much to cover. There's so much to like, you know, there's complicated grief. There's traumatic grief. So you've had a traumatic incident happen in your life. Um, gosh, masked, in, in, inhibited grief. There's so many types. So hopefully we'll be able to get to most of them. We'll scratch the surface. <laughs> Yeah, well, we'll we'll come to season three with some examples. And I, what was distressing to me is you really helped shine a light on the broader picture of grief in mm-hmm. life. And the first thing I found was that I was not honoring my grief at all. Mm-hmm. I very much had that whole like comparative suffering thing where Mm -hmm. I felt like there was a lot of other people out there dealing with way bigger things than, you know, a career change or, you know, whatever it's whatever my cat, (laughs) whatever it is. And when I learned to see what grief was 
and apply the word grief to the feelings that I was feeling, even though death wasn't involved, and to feel sort of justified and validated in grief, then of course I start seeing it and hearing it in other people that I know and love and care for where they're really wrecked and just don't feel like they have the right Right. To feel wrecked. And I'm like, you guys, this, you're grieve it. You lost, you lost something. You lost something that was important to you. Yeah. And nobody else gets to decide what your grieving process is with that thing. It's staying out of comparison. And that is one of the things that happens a lot. Somebody else has it worse. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm not entitled to feel pain behind this breakup. I'm not entitled to feel pain behind my pet dying, which, you know, you know how I feel about that. We've, we've got a whole farm full of animals and we do funerals all the time. And yep. so, you know, it's that comparative, like, oh, analysis, like, oh, they've got it worse than me. I should be able to handle this. Well, you know what? It takes practice though. So you've got to like acknowledge the shit that's happening to you in order to build the resilience. Resilience doesn't just happen. Right. And so I don't think that I will ever be okay with people dying. It hurts every time. Uh, Like I was saying about losing a job, that shit sucks. And it is a portion of of like a little piece of grief in there. And it is a little piece of like, oh, damn, I lost something. So it's like you're losing your livelihood or whatever. So uh, even in that, we could talk about secondary losses from folks who have had a traumatic experience. So there's all, there's a list of things that, you know, that they go through within that experience. And like, people just aren't listening to that. And they're assuming, oh, you, you should be fine now. Because again, they're comparing it to something that they've never experienced They're or they're comparing it to their grandma and their uncle and their cousin. And which doesn't make any sense. Like each loss is very unique. So again, if somebody loses their job, that's their livelihood, that's their security, that's their financial security. That's in in this day and age, in this day and age, in this country, that's a that's a that's a mind fuck for sure. Oh yeah. Especially because we wrap our society wraps up so much of our own identity in our job. And, you know, how we make our living and in, in the comparative, you know, when you're talking about like people feeling like they can just move past it, they'll just move past it. They'll just move past it. And that sort of false resilience, Mm -hmm. there's people that get like, they're like serial about it. Like they're like compulsively that where they don't feel the thing. They don't move through it. They try so hard to step around it compulsively that you end up never really dealing with anything. And then lo and behold, grief stacks up, folks. Yay. Grief is that. Yes. <laughs> the weight of grief piles and piles and piles, even if you are dealing with it, quote, dealing with it, even if you are looking at it and trying to move through it and trying to make your way through the process. You know, if somebody seems like they're taking the loss of a job hard and mm-hmm. you don't get it, perhaps they had 85 layers of grief underneath it. And this one little morsel is is right. breaking the back. 
I mean, think about it because abandonment could be triggered, like rejection failure. can be triggered, failure. Uh, you, you know, it's it's we in this country have this idea that failure is weakness, but that's where you learn the most shit about yourself is when you fail. That's when you build your resilience. And so it's like I, you have to go through these things sometimes to build up some sort of resilience so you don't break every time so that you know, well, I, I mean, I've never gone into a job thinking that this is going to be my only job ever. So I've never been attached to any job in that way. If you don't want me to be here, listen, I could be somewhere else. I was looking for a job when I got this one. So I don't have that necessarily that connection to it. But if it was something I was invested in and I'm building over time and right. I lose that, that's going to that's going to hurt. I'm going to say that that along with the topic of failure in grief is an Mm -hmm. excellent segue to bring on our very special guest today. Yes. We're not going to call it a full interview, but we have someone (laughs) coming on to talk about their life experience in grief that isn't death. You've all heard his name many a time. He's been a peripheral character and BFF to this podcast before the podcast (laughs) was even a thing. Oh my gosh. Ladies and gentlemen, the one, the only editor in chief, Tim Asmer. Cheers, bro. Cheers, bro. <laughs> Welcome. Hi. Hello. Mm-hmm. Welcome. Thanks. So, so as we were talking yeah. <laughs> about the investment and shit, Tim is pretty damn dope, y'all. I don't know if you know. Tim is like this spectacular musician and stuff. And I don't know if we've said that enough about how cool Tim is. Um, but Tim wrote a book as well. What's the name of your book, Tim? I forgot. <laughs> I don't feel like it's important. It is important. And we're going to put it all over the internet and stuff. We want folks to get it from you. But I think knowing you and knowing like how hard you work and how invested you are in being brilliant at things like having loss, like a loss of a band or a loss of like band mates and not necessarily death related y'all, but um, you know, how does that affect you going forward and doing your other projects and like, uh, I mean, do you want to talk a little bit about your experience before you answer that? Uh, what do you want to talk about? What are you comfortable uh, talking about in this? Uh, I like blindsided the shit out of me right there, D. <laughs> I, I'm so sorry. I love you. No. All right. Well, first, the book is called Bittersweet Dreams, a story of failure and disappointment, because that kind of sums up my whole life, really. <laughs> or at least I feel like it does. That was the whole reason I picked that name. I wrote that book because I felt like it would help me to come to terms with the shit that I went through and and the way that I felt and the failure of my career and my music. Let's see. So, yeah, I was in a band for a really long time, and that's all I ever really wanted to do with my life. And I don't know, people are like, no, you didn't fail. You didn't fail. You did this and you did that. And you were in a signed band and you did a bunch of tours and you played with so-and-so and you knew all these people and you, 
you did all these cool things. And I'm like, you know what? I never really got to the point that I wanted to get to. So fuck you. I failed. Period. That's <laughs> right. kind of how I dealt with it. And that's how I thought about it. And it really kind of led to a super dark place in my life. And I think my hesitation of like even having this conversation in the first place was like trying to compare that to other people and things that every people have been through. Like my depression is not as great as yours. You know, my situation doesn't compare to anything that you've been through or that Mickey's been through or that other people that I know have been through. And that kind of brings us to this point, I guess. Mm-hmm. And this is a conversation in general because grief is super broad, right? It is. Right. And Dee and I actually did touch on this before you came in the room, the the comparative suffering thing that mm-hmm. a lot of the motivation in season three to talk to more people who have experienced grief that isn't death is to hopefully give people a, a better understanding and validation of that emotional landscape. Somebody doesn't have to die you're still, you're still worthy of it. Everyone's still worthy of it. Right. And like, to me, that is not helpful (laughs) to decide that your grief is less than, than what all of us have been through. Like you just haven't been in the same circumstances as us, but also like investing your whole life into this and then losing that, that is like, that's like a core memory. And that's, impactful to you and like you were saying you are having like suicidal tendencies and depression and all of those things like oh i i'm gonna say like the band was amazing all the bands are amazing and so um like i can understand that like i can definitely understand that like leaving the entertainment business for me was very fucking depressing like it was the only thing i fucking knew how to do at the time so you know walking away from that by choice was really hard and Like, I didn't really feel like I was grieving about it. But later on in my life, I was like, oh, fuck. Like, I just lost the thing that I know how to do the best. It's like, this is hard. And thinking that I couldn't do anything else um, that was going to measure up to what I had been doing in my childhood to, you know, like spending my life dedicated to working in the entertainment industry and then walking away from it and deciding that I don't want this anymore because it's killing me or because, you know, I'm fucking depressed and nobody's listening and nobody hears me and nobody is tending to, you know, my emotional needs as far as the entertainment portion was concerned. So, yeah, I get that. It's uh, like a loss of yourself, really. The way my situation worked out, it wasn't what I wanted. It's not, it didn't happen the way I wanted it to happen. It just, everything was kind of like pulled out from underneath me. Right. So mm-hmm. I spent the next several years, you know, it was my decision to, to, to call it quits 100%, but like it didn't happen in a fashion that I wanted it to happen. I didn't get to the point that I wanted to get to. I didn't achieve what I wanted to achieve. And in having it kind of just like go away, like overnight, really fucked me up because I all of a sudden just didn't know who I was or what I was doing. I didn't know which direction I wanted to go because it wasn't something I had time to think about. It just kind of ended. And then I spent the next several years just like doing all this shit that I didn't necessarily want to do and and hanging out with people I probably shouldn't be hanging out with and just getting wasted all the time and, and not really spending any time trying to figure out what the what was actually happening in my life from there on out. I mean, it just really kind of threw me into like 
depression is the best way to say that. So, and and then mm-hmm. we go from there. But to try and actually realize, you know what? Cool. Okay. So I need to like deal with this. And, and this is actually something that is affecting me. And, you know, I never, I never thought of the word grief because maybe that's like a thing that you're taught when you're growing up is that especially with, I think, and it was interesting listening to your podcast with Tony, because before that, I never really thought of men that go through grief and, and, you're just always taught to just suck it up and you shut the fuck up about it and deal with it and live your life and bottle that shit up inside and, and carry it with you. But mm-hmm. that just leads to all kinds of dark shit. So down it, yeah. <laughs> down it. Mm-hmm. So I think for me, writing that book really helped me to cope with my internal issues that I had and come to peace about the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like that. I think it's so important for other men to hear you say what you were going through, even though it's not related to a death, that this is a very real thing and that this is like some shit that we deal with and that you deal with and or dealt with and have come to terms and you all are doing really beautiful things now too. So even though I know that it's not a replacement, but at the same time, you have some resiliency now you have like you know you're gonna land on your feet now and right like you know and then when you're dealing with it it's it's hard and it's like shit man well not to mention like really super time consuming that it took me a long time to get over that you know that was <laughs> years and years and years of and, and and maybe had i known that maybe there was somebody you could talk to about that or or a group that like dealt with issues like that that you could actually go online and chat with some people about that that are going through similar things maybe it wouldn't have taken me 6 8 years to come to some sort of conclusion about it you know how long were you pursuing music my entire life up to the point that I was probably 35 years old. So about 20, 20 something years professionally. Yeah, sure. That's half your life. If we it was are. my whole life at that point. Yeah. I mean, all the way through high school. All, I mean, that's all I ever wanted to do. And then yeah. go pursue it like really hardcore for, for another 12 years in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's interesting that you brought up Tony and that's a reference to Tony Lynch. We interviewed him in season two And he focuses on um, help for men in grief, but Mm -hmm. A, to be a guy in the way our society works and the way we like to tell men to not feel at all in general, just better if you don't feel anything at all. And then also to be going through grief that you can't really pinpoint as grief. I mean, that's a lonely place. You end up feeling like some sort of like like a pioneer, you know, like you're just the first person walking this road and you're not, you know, it can't be easy. So yeah. the book is a long ass process. Mm. Yes. Yeah. You know, it took me about two and a half years from start to finish. And and honestly, like I didn't really even realize that I was trying to help myself by writing that book. You know, that had always been kind of a idea of mine when when we were on the road and we were touring i started uh, writing journals just because i'm like oh this crazy shit i'm never gonna remember any of this stuff you know (laughs) so i started writing it all down and at some point i was like oh it'd be cool to make a book out of all these journal entries and stuff and then you know at some point uh, several years after the band had already fallen apart 
for whatever reason, I was just like, you know what, I, I am going to start writing that book. It, it was never the intention of, okay, I'm going to write this book and it's going to make me feel better. Mm-hmm. It was just like, as I was pulling all these memories and all these emotions out and writing this thing that I realized that, wow, this is actually like kind of sort of making me feel better about the whole thing and just kind of releasing all this bullshit into the universe or whatever, you know, just letting it go at the same time. Mm -hmm. I mean, that kind of speaks to what we were saying earlier too, D, that that whole there's no way out but through thing and people who sort of compulsively shut down their emotions as we're taught to. I mean, mm-hmm. we're like, like you've said, we are conditioned to do mm-hmm. that over going through the process and looking at the things and picking out all of the fucking painful shit and looking at it. And it's so interesting to hear you say that even in a long just writing a book about fucking anything seems extraordinarily <laughs> painful, let alone <laughs> writing a book about a painful experience. Yeah. I guess I just, I find it inspiring that you did find catharsis in that. Well, yeah, so you have the time you're writing this stuff, like crying and stuff like Jesus Christ. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Bringing all this shit back up. Somehow it just worked in the opposite to make me feel better about it, I guess. Yeah. Because it was a hard thing to let go. That's the thing. Like when you invest your time, your life, your livelihood and everything into a thing, lose it like that's it's fucked up it's hard and some people don't have don't get a chance between traumas to write the shit down or to even take care of it too so like and it does take years like folks be like really hoping for that magic bullet and that magic solution but don't believe in magic so you know (laughs) yeah well but maybe it's more more than that is that at least in, in in my case I'm going through this and I'm not thinking like, oh, this is, this is, this is grief or this is uh, just depression. And this is something that like, maybe I need to seek help for. Because in my case, when Mickey first talked to me about doing this little conversation, I'm like, dude, I'm not going on grief after dark. I'm like, fucking, <laughs> I'm a, just being a little weenie over here with my, oh, I lost my band. Oh, I don't know who I am. And, but that's not the fucking point. It's not. It's really you not. Know, the point is that like there's there's a lot of different levels of loss, and just because like maybe, okay, fuck, my cat died, and I'm depressed. You know, I'm still depressed. One way or another. I mean, you've been, you and Adam have been through such fucking hellacious shit for me to try and compare my loss of my stupid band to to what you guys have experienced seemed ridiculous to me. Mm-hmm. I'm mm-hmm. just being a little weenie over here, a little crybaby about it, but that's not that's not true. It's not true at all. We view the world through the lens of our own experience, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. When you've experienced really traumatic grief, Mm -hmm. it is hard to listen to someone who has not experienced traumatic grief, talk Mm -hmm. about something that is trauma to them. Mm -hmm. But through the lens of their experience, that pain is real. It's not less valid. Right. Then, then the worst, most heinous shit, perhaps you'll bounce back faster. Perhaps right. you won't need as much help, but mm-hmm. it's still real. Right. It's still real in every person's experience. And I think that it deserves 
um, you know, the attention it's worth. Well, that's that's the word too is deserve deserving. Right. And I'm like, I don't, yeah. I don't deserve to be put on the same pedestal as where you're at or or somebody else who's experienced like super fucked up trauma like that is that. But you know what? It still made me want to fucking put a gun in my mouth. You know. Mm-hmm. I still yeah. woke up a whole lot of days like, fuck, man, this is fucking stupid. I'm done with this. Like, fucking end it already, you know? Well, uh, earlier we were talking about kids and how their grief is really disenfranchised a lot of the time. Oh, kids will bounce back and we don't really pay attention to stuff like that. And having kids and, like, they have not been through a lot, but they've been through a lot more than most adults have been through living in our house. Goddamn. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But as I noticed, like we don't recognize their pain as valid. And so like, that's how Mm -hmm. the conditioning starts. So that's where that thought comes from. When you were little, it's going to be fine. You're fine you're fine. You're going to bounce back. It's fine. And it's not really taking that time to say, Hey, you know what? I realized that you got the wrong color cups today and that hurt your feelings. (laughs) (laughs) Or I cut your sandwich the wrong way and you feel some kind of way. I'm sorry. Can I fix it? And I mean, seriously, like these are little things, but these little things turn into big things. These little things turn into, um, losing a band and being depressed about it and then you deciding that you aren't worthy of your grief because it's not as bad and somebody told you that somebody told you that this isn't as bad as something else that's going on in the world and you should be fine Mm -hmm. and so that's the conditioning that's where they get you and so you know, that's where that comes from. And like, it's happened to all of us. Like I was never allowed to be upset about some shit because I, you know, my mama had it worse. She had to walk to school naked both ways in the snow. You know what I mean? Uphill. (laughs) Uphill. (laughs) Like both ways. So if that's taught and you end up like just having to bottle all that up because you think that's what you're supposed to do, how much worse does that actually make it? You know? It, right? So it's, it contributes to all of these mental health things. It contributes mm-hmm. to, and then we are not taught to take care of our mental health first and foremost. We are not taught to acknowledge that, you know, this shit might be hard and I will survive. And I can still move on and take this with me and make better decisions next time or acknowledge what's happening to me, take a moment and process it and then go on with whatever I'm going to be doing. Yeah. We still don't in the year of our Lord, 2023, we still really don't even have a grasp of what depression is. Right. People can't, you can't spot it. It's hard to spot it when you're in it anyway. It's Mm -hmm. hard for all of us to spot it when, when you're in it, but And it's easy to hide to a certain extent, but man, I don't know. I guess I'm, I'm sitting here launching this season in the great hopes that people will start to gain sort of a broader view of this emotional landscape of what these things look like and feel like, Mm -hmm. and to not just blow it off or sweep it under a rug. Right. And and it's 
us being able to be honest as those people who are being asked, are you depressed or are you feeling some shit like this? And to say, yes, actually I am. Yes, yeah. actually, this is fucking killing me. Yes. Yeah. And the then, at, to, to and then what? Right. And then what? Like, you you know, we all have seen it. And it's just like the rash of, of suicides that have been happening in the last couple of years. The first thing that they always say, well, they were incredibly talented. They were the happiest people I know. They were smiling all the time. Check on your fucking strong friends and strong friends. Tell the truth, you know, because <laughs> I can say all day how cool I think Tim is and how wonderful I think Tim is. But I, like not knowing that Tim is struggling because Tim ain't told the truth when he come outside because Tim don't think his pain is valid. That's that part. Yep. That does not sit well with me. Right. Or Tim just doesn't talk about that stuff because that's what Tim learned. Right. And, right. And he can't talk about it and all of that stuff. And so, you know, that's like, that's the struggle and, and the cycle that we all are, are in that all, all of this time. So how long ago, when did you finish the book? Mm, about three years ago uh i think 2019 2020 yeah it was right before covid sometime and that was 10 years after all that shit happened oh no 10 fucking years yeah 10 years of dealing with that one way or another wow yeah (laughs) it never talked about it to anybody really i mean obviously you heard plenty of how i was feeling about shit but the internal struggle and things that i was really thinking in my head that you didn't right. hear about. Yeah. That was a long time. Yeah. That is. That's a long ass time. And that's the part that I want people to pay more attention to is listen to what is not being said. Yeah. Listen for what is not being said. So you like the projection from those on the outside is that you're so cool. You're so talented. You're so, you know, the list of things and accolades that you you have under your belt, your list of skills, all of that doesn't diminish the fact that this was hard. Well, none of that shit like even matters to me, you know, right. at some point when, when people are like, yeah, yeah, you know, because I started a business during the time that I was in a band to try and to try and make some money while, while I was not making money with a band, you know, so right. start this and, oh, cool, you're really good at that. I'm like, yeah, I don't care. I, I'm right. only doing this to try and to try and improve my chances with the music business. I'm only doing this to help myself out and try and make some money while I can. You know, it doesn't matter. Like, oh, you're so talented at this and that, and you're doing a million different things. I'm like, I don't give a shit about any of that. Yeah. Right. You know, right. Whatever mattered was the band, you know? And so you, you try and tell other people like that. You don't really realize that maybe it's irrelevant to what they feel. Right. And that's how we, we are so dismissive of one another when we do that. And like we throw out the list of accolades and like, oh, my God, you're so cool. And yada, yada, yada. Mm-hmm. And we are dismissive of the fact that it's a projection of like, I want you to be OK. And yes. you're and you're so cool. And look at all the cool things that you've done. So much easier. And God, we spend so much fucking time projecting onto people. Mm hmm. And telling them what they are instead of asking them how they are. Mm-hmm. You want me to be okay. I get it. I want to be okay. But also, this shit is killing me. Yeah. Well, yeah, a lot of times when, <laughs> when people ask you that, it's just superficial anyway. It's just, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, how are you? And then you're already off onto something else by the time they even have anything to say. 
Right. Exactly. And like, I don't really answer that question to people who I know that they're not actually asking how I am. Mm-hmm. I'm fine. I'm fine. Move along. Yep. Good. I'm Good. fine. Thank you. Well, now I just want to ask you how you are or now. Yeah. I'm great. I'm good. I mean, my back hurts a little bit. <laughs> my knees hurt a little bit. Uh, how's your heart, though? Yeah. How's your heart, though? <laughs> uh, how's my heart, though? I mean, compared to those times, it's great. Yeah. It's good. You know, when that sort of situation presents itself and you kind of lose yourself and you lose your identity and... It takes a long time to figure out where you want to go from there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't, mm-hmm. it took me a long time. Like the, the whole woodworking thing and, and this other business I started, we started was I never intended on making that a career. And then it just kind of happened because it was there when everything else fell through the cracks. And now, you know, moved to a different place that uh, is a hell of a lot nicer to place to be. And for sure. <laughs> doing things that we want to do and that makes us happy it's it's awesome yeah but it took me a long time to get there yeah yeah which is again i was saying folks just want you to bounce back right away and yeah it's just them trying to feel good about the situation well, <laughs> them we tra- want to bounce back fast sure, right like sure. we don't want to fucking feel shitty for years yeah tell me how to bounce back please sure. give me the fucking right. pill, whatever <laughs> right. yeah i'll do whatever yeah. do you I'll want just... me to drink this entire bottle and then most of another bottle of wine and will that help i'll do that right yeah, it, it's, yeah. so it's it's like rushing to the red light like what the fuck I think the question I was leading into before was, so, I mean, time is relative. It takes, everything takes as much time as it fucking takes. And there's no way to speed up any of it. Well, I don't want to cut you off, but maybe that's something I was thinking about is that had I known or had I thought differently about it or had, had there been like some sort of idea of help, maybe it would have taken a hell of a lot less time. Mm Mm-hmm. Maybe if I knew about like a group like Tony's or even knew what I was experiencing and Mm -hmm. and knew that I could actually talk to somebody and help that out. Maybe it would have taken a hell of a lot less time. Yeah, maybe exactly. Maybe it would have, or maybe it would have made the load a little bit lighter. Or maybe if I was not taught to, to just bottle all that shit up and, and try and be a tough guy and like, oh, this is no big deal. Fuck it. Maybe maybe it wouldn't have taken me 10 fucking years to get over it, you know? Yeah. Right. But anyway, what was your question? So the band was, let's say, well, you pursued music for, say, 20-ish years. Sure. And then processed the end of that for another decade. Yeah spent a few years writing this book well that was included yes so what do you feel like the emotional contrast was between before you started the book and after the book was done clearly like you don't finish the book and then the work is over and now you're perfectly fine like there's still Mm -hmm. things to process out but like i mean i can't even quantify it as like how healing was the book but how healing was the book uh, very (laughs) um it's hard to speak about depression and suicide 
it's one of those things that you really don't get that shit until you've been through it yourself. And people love to just be like, oh, well, just just do this and you'll feel better. Just do that. And you'll you know, you won't want to kill yourself anymore. I'm like, motherfucking, you don't you don't you don't get it. If you haven't been there, you just don't understand it. And when and when people try and like argue that point, it's it's kind of hilarious. But it went from a point of me just wanting to die all the time to, 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 you know, over a couple of years. And again, it took a couple of years to write the book, but by the time I was done with it, I, I was, I'll say I was 95% over it. Well, mm-hmm. Ooh, that just, I, I, you I just... was able to move on. I was able to, to, to say, fuck all that. Fuck it. Who cares? It's done. I'm moving on to other things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it was not something I could do before. Right. Clearly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's crazy making. Yeah. So I don't then, know if there's any sort of point in all of that or if there's any sort of lesson in all that, but putting all that shit out on paper and getting it out in the open, I, I never intended to even publish the thing. I never even intended to, for like people to read it. Mm-hmm. I just wrote it really for myself because mm-hmm. it was something I wanted to do, but it, at the same time helped me to just kick the shit out of my demons and, and, and let them just kind of disappear. See, but I have such great respect for that because I mean, I think all three of us at this point have had extensive conversations and there is definitely a long episode coming up probably after the season <laughs> about art as an outlet for grief Mm, absolutely everybody talks about how so many great artists were super fucked up and they're alcoholics and they're drug addicts and there's death by suicide and there's death by overdose and and all of this shit and i think what people aren't catching in that is is the beauty of art in music in writing in painting in in any art form sure it's such a it's it really can be such a cathartic relief if you're willing to be vulnerable enough to put the truth of your grief in the thing. Mm-hmm. I totally agree. I can relate to all that because I do all that. I know you do. <laughs> oh, make mm-hmm. wine. Is it is wine making a yes. It absolutely it's is an it's art. It's gotta be an art, right? Absolutely. Yeah. There's art in that. It, it absolutely is an art. Speaking of wine, go ahead and tell us about your winery, Tim. <laughs> it's it's a big fucking failure. No, it's, it's like not. <laughs> so far so good these wines aren't ready yet but i'm chomping at the fucking bit i'm trying to not be impatient be like bottle it now bottle it now like well we tasted a bunch of it we did so far it's good it's coming along oh i'm jealous that i can't be there tasting are are we ready to do questions (laughs) we're ready to do questions for not so rapid fire rapid fire Dude, I'm so good at rapid fire. Oh, we yeah, are not. I got like fucking two word answers for all of them. I guarantee. Well, it. perfect. Then we'll give you the twenty minute answer, which no. which you love to which edit. We'll cut down to nuts. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, I'm ready. Beer number oh. three. Uh, what was your first concert? Uh, Peter Paul and Mary. Oh. In Santa Fe. Oh. And I I think it was like at the opera house or somewhere around there. Yeah. My mom was a wannabe hippie. So she took me there. I was like probably six. Yeah. Puff the magic dragon, motherfucker. (laughs) 
Um, Depeche <laughs> Mode, Music for the Masses, 1987. Hmm. Oh, my gosh. My, uh, I was 11 years old, and it was my first contact high. Oh. <laughs> That's a good story. Yeah. <laughs> Depeche Mode, did you get all sad? I was so fucking emo. Nothing I mean. Don't emo 11-year-old girl. What's wrong with Depeche Mode, though? Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> I mean. Who doesn't need their own personal Jesus? Right. My friend, my like oldest childhood friend who I know I referenced on the podcast because she is my like OG Keanu sister uh-huh. recently sent me, and I mean in the last week, she sent me a little pin and it's in the shape of a coffin and it says, let me see you strip down to the bone. Wow. And I was like, <laughs> oh, fuck. Like. To be 46 and still get like Depeche Mode reference gifts from old friends, just nice. Yeah. Nice. My first concert was Natalie Cole with my Ooh. mom. Hmm. Yeah. Nice. So, but I mean, was it unforgettable? Hmm. It did. Listen. Ah! <laughs> well, <she remembered> it, <laughs> so. it was absolutely unforgettable. Um, do you ever watch soap operas? No. Or have you ever watched no. soap operas? Never? Okay. Fuck no, never. <laughs> Why? I feel like you're about to shit on soap operas right now. <laughs> no. Zero interest. No interest in that. I ain't, I ain't got time for that shit. Yeah, but did you never have it? I mean, I don't I either. I've never but had time for that ever. At some point in high school. Watch yes. Soap operas. Yes. <laughs> Which one? Days of Our Lives. Oh man, I watched them all. Like General Hospital, Days of Our Lives, Bold and Beautiful, everybody. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, you know, I love a good soap opera. Like Dallas was pretty good. Uh, what's the other one? Dynasty. That one was like, oof. That's like know. old school shit. Are those still on? Uh, probably. I think like the, the 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 regular ones. Like all my children. I know that shit's still on. Like well, they got grandkids and great grandkids and that's so <laughs> like all kind of bullshit. Wasn't Dynasty like an evening soap? Like all the yeah. other soaps were like afternoon, just I mm-hmm. guess for the generally unemployed. Yeah. <laughs> or the stay at homes. Or the girl who actually had summer vacations and didn't have shit to do for an entire summer except Yeah. You know you gotta catch your you got to catch your stories and stuff. And yeah. I mean, there, I don't think there's anything like, like that old TV <laughs> right now. <laughs> like it's, it's cool. Um, have you ever won a spelling bee? No, <laughs> no, that's your frog suit. No, I'm terrible at spelling. I was always terrible at spelling. Still terrible at spelling. No, I was a failure in school pretty much period. So <laughs> All the true geniuses were made. <laughs> hey, Good. I did terrible in school as well. If I ever entered a spelling bee, I definitely didn't win. Mm. Mm. I won one in first grade. Yeah. That was about it. In first grade? What are you spelling? Oh, in yeah. Grade? Cow. A Cow. lot of stuff. No, no, it's like serious. It's like serious. You know, in like, you know, TV. Yeah. Orange. That's awesome. Dude, I still can't spell orange. Some long ass, long ass words. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> like shit, I barely remember it. But it was the one thing I was like really good at. 
Well, that's awesome. <laughs> you can only have that one thing. That one thing. Sorry, I peaked in first grade. First grade so, spelling bee. It's fine. You'll always have that. <laughs> <laughs> always have my first grade spelling bee. That's the next I can't wear the damn now though. <laughs> <laughs> next t-shirt I'll always have that first grade spelling bee but i'm definitely gonna spell some shit on there <laughs> yeah good one <laughs> yeah oh my gosh man well shit thank you for coming to yeah. grief after dark and, and well i mean you're always kind of here but i live here yeah, <laughs> you love it. Yeah, but you don't have to talk. Also, but you don't have to necessarily talk and, and stuff. So I so appreciate that and I respect that and, and your journey and the shit you've been through. And like, you know, you're such an important person in our lives and like Adam in my lives. And like, you just kind of like the piece of furniture that's always been there. <laughs> just an old ass nasty piece of furniture. Yeah, just some raggedy, there's it, like the edge is all torn and scratched up from the past. Yeah, that's our marriage for sure. Yeah. Raggedy couch that still super comfy. <laughs> hey Tim, edit that out, will you? Hey Tim. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate you sharing your time and yourself with this whole fucking project, but you know, to share this much of you with our 12.5 loyal listeners, I appreciate it because it really is, it's a perspective that people don't fucking get. Well, as I understand it, um, this season is kind of based on that idea. So I think that's real interesting that you're going to go there because I happen to know a few of the people you're going to be interviewing and they got them crazy story yeah yeah it's gonna be fun but yeah. uh thanks for helping us kick it off mm-hmm. yes. <laughs> what? oh I, i'm not gonna say that on the radio no don't say that fucking band name <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh the good old days you know what i'm thinking though i do <laughs> Yep. That's an inside joke. Tim, edit no that one out. get that shit anyway. Uh, Tim, cut that shit out, will you? Tim, cut that shit out. <laughs> cool. Well, this was fun and um, also not, mm-hmm. but in a good way. Right. And uh, I had fun. Oh, good. Yay. Yay. Okay. Yay. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, can't make light of a subject like this, but. Um, right. I'm I'm thankful that we're all still here doing it and I'm really really looking forward to more fun and stimulating and educational conversations with some cool ass yeah. people. Hell yeah. Like yeah. cheers to glow in the dark. Cheers. Cheers. Y'all. Motherfucker. Motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs>